0: Today's episode comes from CDM's bi monthly Disciple Making Community, or DMC. The DMC is a closed coaching group focusing on creating, growing, and multiplying disciple making communities in our own neighborhoods. For more information on becoming a part of this closed community, email team at contagiousdisciplemaking.com. Write DMC in the subject line. For now, please enjoy Starfish, Spiders, and the
1: Myth of decentralization Welcome to the CDM podcast a production of contagious disciple making We exist to catalyze movement through coaching community and communication We created this podcast to help everyday Christians to become world-changing disciple makers What is the goal of raising children Ashley Well teaching them uh like to love
0: Jesus and that would be the goal for them to follow Jesus.
1: Okay. So that they would follow Jesus. How would you know if they were following Jesus? What's the metric there? What are you looking for in their lives? All right, Josh. Fruit. Fruit. Okay. They've got some fruit. All right. What else? You know, think both questions, maybe metric of how do we know they're following Jesus or why are we raising kids? What's the goal there?
0: Maybe um, if they're obeying God's commands in
1: scripture, if they're serving their community. Okay. Okay. Now let me ask you this. If you have an 18 year old daughter and she's off at college and she calls you the first day that she's away from you and says, mom, what should I wear today? Mom, mom, What am I going to have for breakfast? Mom, what am I going to have for lunch? Mom, is it okay if I buy a soda? Mom, could you send me some money so I can go to the grocery store? You know, is that what we want? Is that what we're going for? No, Josh is like emphatically, no, I don't want that in my kids. Okay, so what are we wanting when we raise children? Independence. Independence, okay. And then Jolene put in the chat bar, independent, healthy, whole people. So a metric of success of a parent is... Can my children navigate the world by themselves, right? Do they have to rely on me for everything? Now, do we still talk to our kids? Do we still get information? I'm 45. I still talk to my dad and run things by him, okay? But it's a very, very different relationship than when I was when I was younger, okay? So what I want to sit there and make a point to say, thank you, Rebecca, for advancing the slide, is that raising children is a leadership development process. Okay, and we've just talked about some indicators of a child that is growing up that they are are bearing fruit, you know, fruit in accordance to their belief in Jesus Christ and following his laws. Are they able to be independent and make strong, complicated and even risky situations? on their own? Like, do you have to sit there and hold their hand as they cross the street at the age of 24? Well, no, that would be absolutely ridiculous. Okay. We don't want that kind of dependence in our children. And so that whole goal right there is to move them from a place of dependence to a place of being independent. All right. And, and that is, that is when we look at movement, disciple making movements is a leadership development process. And I don't want you to think I'm being condescending by referring to us as children, right? But when we start off in something new, we start off in trying to figure it out and making hesitant steps forward, not always knowing what to do. And so in some ways, when we start off being developed in a new way as a, as a leader, we are starting off as a child. In fact, that's a good quality in some respects because, um, you have to start, as they say, was it with a beginner's mind to look at it with the eyes of a child? So that means you're not so full. You can't get new information or learn something new, but it does mean that there is a willingness to accept and bring something in. One of my, one of my, uh, favorite, uh, you know, cult fiction movies, if you will, uh, is a is a Jackie Chan one. I'm, and that I'm struggling to remember the name right now. But in this movie, they go into this fantasy world from our world. And Jackie Chan is the martial arts teacher. And there's this young man who grew up watching uh, martial arts movies all of his life. And so he always knows he goes, let's do Tiger Fist. Let's do, you know, uh, Panther Claw or whatever. He calls out all these moves and everything. And Jackie Chan gets very frustrated with him. And he says, here, let me give you some more tea. And so the man holds out his teacup and Jackie Chan begins filling the teacup. And finally, he fills it so much it starts to overflow. And the guy's like, ah, ah, you know, you've, you've overfilled my teacup. And he says, no, the problem is you have so much in your teacup that you can't receive anything else. You must empty the teacup. So you can get the T, you know? And so that's the the idea is that we do want to start here, but that's not where we want people to stay. We do want them to get to a point of being independent. And so how do we get there? And there's some right ways and there's some wrong ways of going about it. So today, one of the things I want to tackle is this complicated idea of, of how we get to the thing and some myths and everything around it. So you may have heard uh, there's this idea or what I'm titling this today is Starfish, Spiders, Leaderless Teams, and the Myths of Decentralization in Disciple-Making Movements. Okay, So um, there was a book that came out in 2010 called uh, Starfish and the Spider. And it was very, very popular, um, particularly among a lot of emerging uh, leaders in uh, disciple-making movements because it, it talked about the necessity of decentralization versus centralization. So in this book, it basically said if you had a spider organization, if you cut a leg off a spider, you now have a crippled spider. Or if you cut the head off a spider, it dies, okay? But if you cut a leg off a starfish, not only will the starfish regrow the leg, but also that leg can become a starfish in and of itself, and they said that is the goal for for movement, that spider is bad and starfish is better. OK, and they compared it to a lot of different a lot of different organizations and things like that. Um, so that's a book that came out that was was very popular. Um, there's some problems with that understanding, because what it came out to be was any form of centralization is wrong and will hurt movement. Structure And what then it became is structure and accountability are a spider organization, and it will hurt movement. So, Rebecca.
0: Uh, and, and again, I think a core misunderstanding as a part of all this is people are confusing attractional and centralization. Uh, so there's a difference between those two concepts.
1: Exactly. Exactly. That's a good point. And so so this became a very popularized thing that we need to do decentralization. And and there's some other problems with that, too. Um, One of the problems I want to show out just real quickly, and then we'll dive in some more in a little bit, is that a spider has a structure, but so does a starfish. And a starfish's structure is what allows it to be able to multiply. Okay, so it's not... A lack of structure that means you're decentralized, it means you have the right structure that allows you to be decentralized. And so that's something that we'll dive in a little bit more. There was another book that came out that became very popular uh, by General McChrystal, and it was called Team of Teams and it was this idea that you want these independently operating teams that make the decisions that get us to the thing and he compared it to navy seal teams where um there was a, a place where some pirates ended up taking over a ship and the and the snipers the navy seal snipers had those pirates in their sights and no one had to say fire now they fired when they knew they had the shot and so they didn't need a command someone say you do this they didn't have to wait for the command but they took the shot when it was available and they acted as one mind. I mean, literally they shot at the same time. Okay. And so that was a very, um, that was a very, uh, interesting thing. But what people often mistake is, is that no one gave the command. I'm sorry. They already had the command. This is our target. This is our goal. You do what it takes to get to our goal. So they already had the command and it just, they didn't, but they didn't have to wait for somebody in that moment to say, shoot, but they already had the command. They already had the training that allowed them to function at that high level. So it's not that number one, it, you, know, you know, one big thing about this is it's not that they, um, no one told them what to do. They didn't know what to do and they just magically made the right decision. It was, there was a lot of structure, a lot of training, a lot of planning that went in to give them the ability to be independent and to, and to still accomplish the vision and the mission. Okay. So let's dive into a few of the myths of, of decentralization. I've already started do, do, doing that a little bit. First of all, that, um, that decentralization means you do not have structure. Okay, that is just not true. It means that you have a structure that supports that and raises up and and encourages and helps people get to a place of independence. Decentralization doesn't mean that everyone has their own vision. It means a unity of vision that we're all heading to the same place. Those Navy SEALs in that team didn't each have their own vision of what it would take to accomplish it. And that vision wasn't separated from the vision of the command structure that supported the Navy SEAL team. Instead, the command structure said, this is what success looks like. And the Navy SEAL team said, yes, we agree that's what success looks like. The command said, this is the training you need to accomplish that success. They said, yes, we will fully dedicate ourselves to that training so that we can be independent and have success. And then command said, in this instance, this is what success looks like. And then, and, and the ways it could, it could unfold. And the Navy SEAL said, yes. And then they committed to getting to the six, su- one of the ways of success that command said to do either the surrender of the pirates or the death of the pirates. They had two options. Okay, and the Navy SEALs went for the one that they felt like they could do, which minimized the risk to the hostages and their cargo. Okay, so a very strong right understanding of how everything works together, Um, and then I think that uh, so that, and then another myth is that there that any accountability is indicative of control. And, can, and that will um, hurt decentralization. Uh, I just want to tell you, if you've done any study, because all of this idea of decentralization is heavily built on things like Uber, things like eBay, things like um, Craigslist, things like uh, the Navy SEAL teams. And they say, see, you know, they, they don't have a structure. They they just, they, you know, nobody tells that Uber driver what to do. And I'm like, Au contraire. There is a, a list of things that you do and do not do and agree to do and not to do when you become an Uber driver. When, and if you don't follow what those agreements are, then you are immediately expelled from being an Uber driver. If you don't follow the terms and conditions of eBay... You immediately are put off of eBay, and guess what? If you don't follow the high level of accountability necessary to be on a Navy SEAL team, then you will be thrown off the Navy SEAL team. Rebecca,
0: Paul, and I actually watched the show SEAL Team. We do. uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know if you guys ever have ever done so, but uh, even with, so, a within the teams, there's strong leadership. They may yep. have discussions or whatever. But they they have one person at the top, his way goes, you know whatever uh, whatever ends up whatever decision he ends up saying at the end. Also, constantly, as Paul says, they are accountable for every single decision that they make to the people above them, and and then if they get a call from overhead telling them that they need to do something different, they are responsible to do it upon. Uh, I, you know, uh, you know, obviously court-martialing or something like that. And the people who are above them have the overall plan, have the overall strategy, and they have to follow that overall strategy in whatever that they're doing in the first place. Now, I, I Paul, if I could just have a moment, I just wanted to make a, you know, quick couple quick points in all this. Um, I think part of what... Accentuates, you know, um, some of the myths of decentralization, especially when it comes to DMM, is that I think a lot of people come to DMM because in the end they have become disillusioned with leadership. Uh, maybe they've had some problems with, or they have some dissatisfaction with the status quo with, that where leaders aren't Really doing what they feel like is, should be done. And so they kind of swing this opposite direction and say, well, then no leaders, all leaders are bad. Any kind of over leader is bad. Any kind of, of idea of, of somebody knowing more than other people about something and we should follow their lead is bad. And you know, that, is an error in the opposite direction when we look at the scriptures in the first century church even in the bible itself it says god gave apostles he gave overseers he gave prophets he said to appoint elders you know he he is appointing leadership at various different levels not just on the micro level he's also appointing leaders on the macro level And people like, you know, the Apostle Paul and the rest of the apostles and the council that ended up being formed. They were they were the leaders of the time that not only set the direction and strategy, but also was responsible for the spiritual health, which means the correction and of the people underneath them. So. This is, this is a healthy thing because God calls leadership people shepherds and that without shepherds, the flock goes astray. People go off on, on all these, you know, weird and different tangents. So, uh, you know, I just want to say that I, I think some of the, the things that have led to the extremity of the idea of decentralization has been a desire saying, Basically, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I don't want to be able to say that anybody to have to say that they are more of an expert than I am. I don't want to have to work with other people on their their plans. So I create a whole system or ideal that says I don't have to. And nobody else should either. Now, um. I do want to make this quick question. This is an interactive question. What, if you imagine yourself as a part of a team, what does, what is the role of the leader? What are they supposed to do? They hold the overall vision or destination point.
1: Okay. Overall vision. They also just represent the whole group and kind of the almost like the group opinion and desire and vision of the group. Jolene put in the comments that they develop leaders. That leaders on a team develop other leaders. Mm-hmm. Matt, um, that's Matt. He said, nudge, encourage, prod, and inspire. All right. And Ashley, I think you were about to jump Ashley? in.
0: Well, yeah, I was going to go back to we've talked before about um, correcting, rebuking, but then also serving. you know, the people that they're they're leading. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? Like setting a culture, like leading by example. I want you to imagine that in the group that there is somebody who is either not doing their job or they're being a jerk. What would you want to happen in that situation as a team, as a teammate? I would want to email them before Friday night or wait till Monday. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> nicely done Riley nicely done my friend
0: <laughs> uh, it would be nice to have that addressed and a
1: leader is a good person to do that Yes, Mary says that she'd want them to leave <laughs> <laughs> one, one thing that would be great to see is other members of the group stand up and help correct
0: yes that, that can ultimately though I'm going to say the responsibility, I mean, okay, again, if it's a personal matter between people, the Bible says to make sure you go to that person directly and not just rely on somebody else to do it for you. But if it's a, if it's something that is obvious, a problem inside the crew, the leader is ultimately responsible for addressing it and correcting it. That's something that we're, that perhaps in our American culture nowadays we're uncomfortable with the idea is that correction is a service to the team. So you, a leader serves his team in these ways. That is their role. People are more comfortable when leaders do their role in the service of their people in the, in the, in the right attitude and under God's direction. It goes awry when it changes to where they're doing their role in service to them at the expense of their people and perhaps God's purposes. However, their role and what they're doing is a service to the people they serve their people by providing vision, helping a strategy of learning, of development, of correction, of encouragement, and ultimately they are responsible. What we see inside this, and so what happens a lot in decentralization is it creates toxic, uh, toxic fame, I would say, or toxic influencers. Because they get to have perhaps an an ability to put themselves forth as an expert or as a person who gives encouragement or can be applauded in what they're doing, but they have none of the responsibility, none of the responsibility to the people that they're serving or to the people that are around them. They don't, if someone else decides to do something wrong, well, that's none of their business. They're not their leader. If somebody decides to do so, uh, that decides to do, oh, well, that's their own thing. Well, they're having a hard time and, you know, or they need to be able to get better. Well, that's, you know, ultimately that's not my responsibility. The failure and success of the team is not on me. I'm just a person who gives some information and encouragement and, and, you know, that's it. So there's a difference between a coach and a leader. And so I, I say all this to say this is a, a lot of the heart of the, where decentralization goes awry is that it says that there, that there shouldn't be any leaders. And that actually robs the church of the essential role that leaders play in all of these things. Now, I'm sure Paul is going to, uh, uh, going to talk about this later, but uh, about how it is in movement. But like I said, this is some of the, this is some of the heart of the problems. When we talk about the extreme parts of what people really mean when they talk about decentralization half the time.
1: All right. That's good stuff. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for diving into that. Um, Let's go into what does it take to have uh, a decentralized team? Okay. Uh, What does it take to have a decentralized team? Uh, because that's where we want to go, right, is we like this idea of having this team that can evaluate what is happening on the ground, make decisions accordingly, and be able to get to movement without always having to check in with someone else, right? Now, it doesn't mean you don't check in with someone else. I'm just talking about it's like that kid. They're not having to call and say, should should we have a prayer calendar? Should we have this should we have, hey, Paul, should should we engage the lost? Hey, Paul, can I invite people to my church? You know, we don't want that. We want people who understand movement, who have the ability to make decisions within that context to move forward, but then come back and can get, get into some evaluation. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. The first thing, in order to have a, a uh, decentralized team, Is a radical commitment to a single vision and purpose. A radical commitment to a single vision and purpose. Okay, where does this come into into contact? Sometimes we see people in the United States say, I'm gonna use movement principles to grow my church. Okay, that we know that if you focus on movement, that churches will grow. But if that's your reason for getting into movement, that it's the growth of the church that is movement, not the expansion of the kingdom of God and the reaching of the lost everywhere, then that will mean that you will change some of the things about why you do movement that will ultimately cut it off at its knees. Okay? So when you're focused on movement, you're saying, this is what I'm doing. The same thing is, if you have a desire to grow your own ministry and fame within Christendom, and prestige then that right there is a is a non-commitment to the vision i am committed just for to see and, and and i use philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 11 you know as my guide let your mind be the same as that of christ who did not consider equality with god as something to be a grasp but took upon himself the very nature of a servant So humbling himself, becoming obedient, even to the point of death, to the glory of God the Father. The commitment to a movement vision is to see that God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth it is in heaven. The population of heaven with uh, friends that came to know Christ in the process so that god is glorified because when god is glorified everything is better and it's a radical commitment it's sitting there saying that okay um if i do this thing it will help me be a bigger leader in my local church but if that thing takes me away from the the thing then i've got to sit there and say no i'm i don't have time for that i'm sorry you know and so it's that choice to be and and I say radical commitment is often indicated less by um, what you say yes to and more by what you say no to. What am I willing to not do in order to do this? Think about Olympians. I'm not going to go have a bunch of fast food and fill my and and drink a lot of alcohol because that will sit there and disrupt this fine, finely tuned machine. And could mean that I don't get the, the difference between a gold medal and a silver medal or a bronze medal and no medal at all. OK, and so it's saying and and we, we see this in Scripture. I beat my body into submission. Like an athlete, I press on to the prize like a soldier. I mean, Paul uses these things and all of those images are indic- indicative of a radical commitment to a single vision, and purpose. Rebecca?
0: You know, um, <clears throat> the, some of the things that we are trying to to build with CDM, whether it's our, our prayer, um, some of our projects, also just our community. Our goal is to develop a global community, a global team. And what that means is that we want people to practically, not just theoretically, be able to work together in mobilizing prayer, in being able to execute uh, the, the, vi- uh, the, the things that lead to the vision. And that means people have to come to the team with the vision of, I'm here to give and not just get. I'm here not just to get what I need to build my own thing, I'm here to be a part of what we all are doing together. Uh, you know, have you guys heard of the uh, the fable of the the little red hen? Little red hen said, "I want to bake a pie. Would you like to help me make the pie?" Uh Mr. Horse, "Nay, hey, I don't want to make the make the pie, little red hen. I'm I have to go and do my own things." Okay? Would you like to, to make the pie with me, little pig? Oh, no, I don't want her to. I'm sorry. I've got this stuff to do and I'm really busy. And stuff. okay. Um, hey, uh, little, uh, uh, um, little chicken. Maybe it's like the rooster. Maybe the little rooster. Would you like to? No, I'm too busy. Then she makes the pie all of herself and she puts it up on the, on the shelf and then she says, Ah, and they all smell the smell coming around. And the horse, hey, I'd like to help you eat this pie. And I want to help you eat this pie. And I want to help you eat this pie, too. And so the, the whole point of this this fable is the fact of a lot of people want the blessing and benefit of a a global team together for what they can get out of it. But it's also what you give to it. That actually makes the thing in the first place. And so the reason why I'm saying that is that even to be how that can, how that practically can lay out is that if you're trying to have a team that where we're all building this together and they're all trying to only take what they need for their own people, then it doesn't actually build the thing in itself ever. And so that's why you have to bring people whenever, that's why. A singular commitment of purpose is so important when you're doing uh, trying to build teams and to lead teams.
1: Yeah. To Rebecca's point in the Navy SEALs, as part of your training, you have uh, the instructors will rank you based upon how you're doing, but then they will ask your teammates to also rank you. And you could be an alpha dog who is the top of the class in terms of accomplishing everything, but your teammates may sit there and put you in the bottom because they see that you're not a team player. And they're going, man, I I mean, that guy is awesome. He's, he's a, I mean, he can do it, but I don't want him watching my back because he's out for himself. And so there have been guys that were dropped from the Navy SEAL training program, not because they failed, to accomplish the things the instructor wanted because they were in the bottom three of their classmates' evaluations and they were unable to turn that around uh, by the uh, prescribed date. I mean, that's, that's the kind of things because being a team player is a strong indicator of that. So the next thing that we do, so not only do we have a radical commitment to a single vision and purpose, but we have to have a commitment to constant training, coaching, and mentoring. Hey family, Paul here. I want to take a quick moment and share something you may not know. CDM is a non-profit ministry. That means everything we do is supported by individuals just like you. This year has been pretty busy with launching the Freedom Initiative and the Next Generation Project, as well as coaching people and training people to be disciple makers in their own spaces. We haven't been able to spend a ton of time fundraising, and we are facing a budget shortfall. We need friends like you who would commit to being a monthly supporter of all the wonderful things we do here at CDM. We're looking for 1,000 of our listeners to commit to giving $45 per month. If you can give more or less, that's great. We just want to keep serving God by serving you and equipping the body of Christ to make disciples and start movements. Just head on over right now to contagiousdisciplemaking.com to donate, or you can do it right through our app. Thanks for listening, and thanks for praying, and thanks for giving. So the next thing that we do, so not only do we have a radical commitment to a single vision and purpose, but we have to have a commitment to constant training, coaching, and mentoring. So um, in DMM, everyone, everyone wants to become a trainer because training is easy. I'm just telling you right now, it is easy to read a book, put together a PowerPoint slide, stand up in front of a crowd, tell them what to do. And because they have less experience than than you, when they begin to try those things, they sit there and they go, oh, you've been such a great help to me. This is so wonderful. Thank you so much. But what I have learned is the moment someone starts to train, unless they're very, very careful and committed to continual learning, they stop learning. It arrests their development. As a leader, in many cases, not in all cases. Once again, if they get to the right place and then begin training, it actually helps their development as a leader. But if they start it too early, it will arrest their development. I'm telling you this this is the process that I followed. I sat there with my father almost two years in trainings with him before he began to give me a single thing to train. And I remember the first time it happened. I was in Colorado in front of a large group of missionaries from all over the world. And my dad got sick. And I still to this day wonder if he got sick on purpose. Okay. And, uh, and all of a sudden it was like, Paul, I can't do this afternoon session. You're going to have to lead it. And I did terrible. In fact, I talked to someone years later who came to another training that I did. And he looked, he says, I remember that Colorado training. You've gotten a lot better. I was like, yep, you totally have constant training when Rebecca came on board. So you need to understand this. Rebecca is highly capable, highly intelligent, and already had a lot of experience. Okay. Coming in with small teams and mobilizing people and all of that. But she did not have experience with movement at first. The same way that I didn't have experience. And I had to work with my dad, Rebecca sat there and read the book, Contagious Disciple Making." She listened to every single podcast multiple times at that time. We had countless conversations, hours and hours and hours, and she shadowed coaching calls for what? Almost like six to seven months before she began to take coaching calls of her own. And even then when she began to take them, I would listen in and then we would debrief afterwards. There was a whole
0: It was a pretty intense process.
1: It was an intense process of absolute immersion. Okay, but what does it what do now that was like that commitment to training and that intense process meant that that first year was dedicated to that. But the years since then, she's an independent leader and doesn't need me to help her do anything. We still work together. We still we still learn together. We grow together. We're now peers together. But it took that kind of radical commitment to growth and becoming. In order to do that. So now that I have the confidence that she doesn't need me in a coaching thing, you know, but we still talk about it. We still learn from one another. Rebecca, you may want to add something to that.
0: I just, I just want to add the necessity also of being due there is to truly absorb and seek to understand everything that is happening around you. When you're around that leader, you're not passively listening. You're not just existing in that space. You're trying to assess like why did they say that? How did that happen? You know, what is the principle here? I'm learning this for next time, and and how do they explain that? And that process, it, Paul says it was about a year, but the reality is, is it was an ongoing situation, even to this day. On other elements, I'm learning from both Paul and also David, for, and from various different other things. But few parts that I don't know quite yet, or I'm not familiar with. And I will seek those out to be able to understand the true nature of them. So, you know, that to, to put Paul's point, you know, our goal is to get to a certain place where people have these competencies to be able to say, I can make basic decisions in that self. But the journey there, it, you can't do that day one because you have to have a shift of understanding of how to operate and an understanding of the principles. A lot of people say, may say right now, like, we don't know what's going to work. So that may end with the implication of then anything goes. Nobody can say if anything's the right or wrong way. But that's inaccurate. It's like going to a doctor and saying, we don't know what works. So therefore, just, throw, you know, let's just try anything, anything. Let's just pick up this rat poison and see if it kills you. I mean, it's like, obviously, we know some things will work. Some things don't work because of the principles that are there. And some tactics, though at the, some people on the surface looks like it's harmless. It actually violates, can, can violate movement principles. The other thing I'd like to say, Paul, on this is that I recently, the, a couple of months ago, I talked with David and I asked him and I said, it, it, well, he told me, he's like, in, in all of Africa, from the top of Africa to the bottom of Africa, I've just recently gotten a call from some of those leaders that I've trained. And he, and he said, for every five days, a church is formed. And I said, wow, every five days, a church is formed. And I said, and I sat there and I, cause I know for being a leader, how could they possibly know that? That, in other words, it's a huge landmass. How could they possibly know that? He said, oh, well, it's simple. There has been a careful leadership and reporting process. From the beginning that the co-coaching, when people go out, they come back and they report carefully these different things and they goes up the chain and it goes up the chain and they have, they all come out, report together. And that's how we can be able to have those particular, uh, the, those particular stats or understandings or even the ability to see that fruit in the first place. So again, we get this idea that movement is completely loosey goosey, no, you know, everybody out for themselves, like it's random activity, but it is a very intentional leadership that get, that brings it down to a certain degree. And actually, it, like, like we say before, the trellis allows the fruit to grow along with it and go farther than it would otherwise. And so, you know, So when we say that there's constant coaching, mentoring, and training, even as a person is becoming more capable, there's still a need for further development. There's a lot of people who are kind of familiar with the first two or three, maybe even five original strategic elements, you know, like the disciple worth, multiplying, prayer, engagement, you know, just DBS, there They're, they're kind of more familiar with those, but they haven't yet experienced the back part of it. And because of that, and because a lot of people are learned by doing versus learned by just hearing, often they'll start making decisions in the first five that doesn't, doesn't get show reflects that they don't understand the last, what last parts of it. And say, well, it, it's kind of like where Jesus, some people come to Jesus and ask him a question. And he's like, you don't even understand the premise of what you're asking. You know, this is the question you should be answering. And so that's why there's a need for continual development as you go on.
1: Yeah. And even, even one, one of the writers of the epistles sat there and said, I would love to be, you're, you're at the point I should be giving you meat, but I'm still having to deal with the milk. Of these basic things, you know, because obviously they haven't gotten those things yet either. So it's a really, really interesting, uh, really interesting thing. All right. The next one is extreme ownership of you and your team's actions. Once again, Rebecca already brought this up the idea of, oh, I'm not responsible. I'm just the trainer, or I'm not responsible. I'm just the coach. They can do whatever. Instead, you're seeing there. so no, I'm responsible for everything and to to those that my and I'm responsible to my peers. I'm responsible to those in organizational accountability if I'm a part of an organization. And then I'm responsible to ultimately to God. One time I was uh, I was talking to a group in France and uh, they had just experienced uh, one of their teammates was martyred in Africa. And uh, and that was a rough time. And my job as a leader is to deal with hard situations sometimes. And I came in the room and I really made him mad at me. And uh, the reason I did is because I looked at him and said, "Well, okay, when someone dies like that, their sacrifice will be honored by God because they sat, they died for the cause of Christ. And this person obviously died because they were serving God." But as a leader, I will be held accountable for their death. And it doesn't take anything away from their death, but it, it sits there and puts me in the leader as a hot seat because I have to ask this question. Were they killed because they were they were following ri- unnecessarily risky methodologies that I taught and promoted them to follow? Or were they killed because they were because they were actually obeying Jesus's commands? Was it my methodologies that got them killed? Or was it their obedience that got them killed? Once again, they're fine either way, right? Because they di- they died for Christ. That doesn't take away from their sacrifice. But I'm judged differently. And they did not like that idea whatsoever. But for me, that's extreme ownership. That's what it means to be a leader. When I look at the collective use of time... In a meeting, I always come away from a meeting going, okay, well, if each of you were uh, were paid $120 an hour for your time, then this meeting just cost X amount of money. Have I made the content of what I'm teaching and the value that's being shared worth that expense for everyone in the room? And why do I ask that question? Because it forces me into a place of extreme accountability. Okay. And extreme ownership. And we'll talk more about accountability here in a second. But, and I'm not just, I'm not just, um, I'm not just, you know, taking ownership of my actions. I'm taking ownership of my team's actions. We haven't mobilized enough prayer. That's my fault. Because then I go, why is my team not mobilizing prayer? Do they not have the vision? Do they not have the information? Do they not know how? Has morale been um, reduced because we have people on the team who aren't doing the things? And so as a result, no one's doing the things. And I need to address the person that uh, that is um, not doing the things in order to get rid of them or help correct their behavior. So then morale will cause the team to see the necessity of doing the things again. I mean, these are all things I ask as a leader all the time. And guess what, guys? One of the marks of being a mature adult is the ability to take ownership and to evaluate yourself. Because if you can't do that, you're not an adult. You're not independent. All right? So that gets into the next one is this ruthless evaluation. You know, so I take extreme ownership of me and my team's thing. And the next slide is ruthless evaluation. Okay, so once again, why did I give you guys, uh, for those of you that are in this process, hopefully you got the slide deck and we taught you how to use a slide deck. If you haven't done that yet, you're not far enough in the process yet for this. But for those of you that have a slide deck on that I ask you to fill out before you come into um, a coaching session, what we're doing, what we're trying to do there is to give you a tool that forces you to develop the habits and patterns of self-evaluation. You guys didn't know that, did you? That's the purpose of the tool to help you in that leadership development process. We're giving you a system to do that. So when you come to me and that tool's not taken care of or filled out, I just go, okay, well, they're just not ready for that yet. Because a leader ruthlessly evaluates themselves. If you come to me and I see things that are there that aren't reflective of reality, because maybe you got lazy and you didn't evaluate, then I go, that leader is not ready to be independent yet. Because if they were... They would lean into that and they would ruth—they would value the process and they would do it because they value the evaluation. That's what a Navy, a Navy SEAL teams do. They come back and they do what's called an after action review. And they sit there and they go through every phase along the way in the mission and they ruthlessly evaluate. You went here. Why did you go there? Did you not see this? You went here. Why did you do that? Did you not see this? Why did you make this call versus that call? And the, so the leader does it with their team and it gets hot. Those are all, everyone in a Navy SEAL team is an alpha male. Okay. And they're good at what they do. They're driven and everything else. All right. But, but they sit there and they, they ruthlessly evaluate and because then the leader has to go in into the the thing with all of all of his command and has to sit by himself in front of a group of his his leaders with his job on the line every single time and he has to say this is why we did this and I stand up for my men because of this or this they didn't do this that's my fault that's not their fault that's my fault. I ha- I I did not train them adequately in that, or I did not see that they were trained adequately in that. And something I'm going to do to correct it is this, this, and this. Okay, because that builds trust, right? Trust in a leader is it means it means that you have a leader who doesn't pass the buck. You've got a leader who takes ownership, but they're going to help you become better. Does that make sense? Okay, next one. The next one is radical accountability. And you might say radical evaluation evaluation is something that we do together we're looking at it we're learning from it but accountability is saying I'm leaning in to you holding me accountable for my actions because I need that I need to be better I need to grow I need to think I need you know you to you to keep me focused on the basics and they do that the teams You know, there's always the team and then there's a second in command and the team will talk to the second in command or the second in command has a pulse on the team and the second in command has permission, not in front of the team, but to pull the leader aside and say, Hey, and they usually use very colorful language and uh, that we won't use in our context. And they say, you're screwing up here. You need to get that squared away. This is how your attitude is affecting your men and degrading your performance. And it's not that the leader likes it. He gets usually pretty ticked off, but he knows he's given that second in command the permission to speak into his life that way. And then he goes away all hot headed and angry and everything else and eventually comes back around and fixes the problem. And then they move, move forward. Okay. Radical accountability. A lack of accountability is not an indicator of a diverse team. There is not a single adult on this planet that's not accountable for their action. If I don't pay taxes, I'm held accountable. If I break the law, I'm held accountable. If I yell at my kids in a domineering and overmuch way, not in the moments of frustration and discipline that we all have, but I'm talking about a consistent, abusive way, then I'm held accountable. You know, so accountability is, a lack of accountability is not an indicator of independence. Instead, acceptance of accountability that is helpful for me to accomplish the goals that are in front of me that is an indicator of maturity and independence. Rebecca,
0: um, I, I kind of, I don't know if this was a, we kind of hinted on it, but the other thing that, that makes it necessary for there to be decentralized teams is high character and maturity. High character and maturity. A person has to be a a person of integrity, a person who is trustworthy person who is dependable a person who isn't untruthful in in their dealings isn't manipulative plays well with other people is uh, you know um however is willing to do the hard things when it, including confronting people with n- when need be these are these are the things that are necessary and not to mention the idea of not being a sinful person that too but you know, I mean it's just like all those things are necessary and what a lot of times very talented passionate people they want to have the position before their character or maturity is ready. And that only creates leaders who don't, that end up destroying themselves because they don't have the character or the um the maturity to be able to handle that particular role all by themselves at that time. And so, you know, that's something that also is. Yeah.
1: And I just want to tell you guys in, in CDM, you know, Rebecca, Rebecca does this to me all the time. I know you've seen, if you've ever watched the show Navy SEALs and you see that second guy kind of lay hands and push the guy up against the wall and say, you're messing up. Well, it's funny to imagine that Rebecca would do that, but basically she does that and she'll sit there and say, Hey, you can't say that. Or, Hey, you let that go and you shouldn't have, Hey, this is what happened. And even like earlier this year, I was talking with my dad and he says, you know, if you do that, that's going to mess that. That's what this is communicating to people. And I did not like it. I'm just saying I'm 45 years old. I still don't like it when my dad corrects me, but did I need it? Yeah. And if I'm a good leader, will I take it, and listen to it, and learn from it? Yep, I will. Now I don't let everyone speak to me that way. I give people permission, but I give the right people—people people that I trust—who are going to tell me how it is. I give those people permission in my life so that so that I can become better, so that I can serve you well, Rebecca.
0: Little helpful tip. This is just a little freebie thrown in. How can you know the difference between a toxic leader and a a a? you know, a well-intentioned leader. The people that they put in their lives closest to them are not sycophants. There are people who would be willing to confront them if need be. And I can tell you, I I mean, I hate to say it, but it, it, because it maybe make me look like I'm pretty bad. uh, Paul does allow me speak into his life quite forcefully at times to it towards certain ends. And so in other words a, again, if you if you look around the people around the person, if nobody ever confronts the person and nobody says anything, if everyone just said if somebody if they say one thing and they turn around and say another thing and nobody ever gets, says anything about it, that's not a good sign. So leaders even top leadership will have people around them that hold them accountable. If they go off and people who have the intention of getting away with things will surround themselves with people who won't.
1: Yeah, that's a big one. That's a big one. So Rebecca, Rebecca speaks into my life. My dad speaks into my life. I have a, uh, every Friday I have a friend of mine who comes over and we pray together and, uh, he's a newer friend, but he's getting the ability to speak into my life as I open up and show more about it. And my buddy, Joel across the mountain, he can he he can speak as forcefully into my life as Rebecca does. And so, Paul
0: has a counselor too.
1: And I have a counselor, and my counselor, uh, I find counselors that don't have a problem cussing at me. That may not be for everyone, but uh, but is for me, and uh, and so I I openly embrace that kind of uh, that kind of thing. Okay, and once again, I don't let everyone do that, but I have I have some people do that, and then the people that I serve. They know that they could go to Rebecca and say, "Hey, Paul did this. Could you help me talk with it?" And if Rebecca's Rebecca is doing it, she's going to say, "Well, this is how to talk to Paul, or we can go to Paul together." She's going to follow the Matthew eighteen process, right? Once again, there's a structure, there's a process, okay, and that's been given by God in those situations. So, what is the goal of this? Well, we, you guys, anyone who's been through the CDM training has seen this chart before. We talk about fragile, resilient, and anti-fragile. When people are getting started. In the learning, they're fragile. And I'm just telling you guys, fragile needs more structure, not less. Just like little children, little five-year-olds need structure. DJ needs structure. All right? You know, uh, you know uh, kids need more structure. Any counselor worth their salt will say kids need structure in their life in order to know they're loved. And that's interesting. In order to become...
0: They will become anxious if they don't. And notice how nowadays um, kids are more anxious than ever because they don't have correction and stability And, and
1: structure. And think about adults. I don't know what to do. I don't know what makes me successful. We get that in DMM sometimes. So what do I sit there and do? Okay, do you have a prayer calendar? Let's get started on the prayer calendar. All right. Are you, do you, have you identified your areas of engagement? Let's get you started on, on your areas of engagement. Have you, are you keeping your conversation quadrants? What's making you successful there? Okay. These are structures designed to help you know that you're being successful and heading towards and heading towards movement. It also are tools to help me know that if you're not being consistent in those things, because consistency is an indicative of growth and of independence, then I can sit there and go, okay, well, we're just not ready for that yet. All right? And so those are some things that that I watch. We want to move into resilient, but ultimately we want to move into anti-fragile. I, I imagine all the time if a cataclysmic event comes and you guys lost contact with me, have I served you well enough as a leader that you'd be able to form a team of disciple makers and make disciples without me there?
0: And that's... And, and not everybody would be in the same place. I mean, that's the thing is that again, it doesn't happen day one or even day, you know, even two years, perhaps it, you know, you have, you can put seeds in there, but the idea is, is that it's a process over time.
1: Exactly. So let's go to the next slide. Um, I want to talk, address a couple of things. Rebecca already addressed one a little bit, so I'll touch on it in a moment, but the idea that your invitation matters. So what I have learned, and I'm sorry, I'm having to accelerate for time. So we'll try to have a time for questions later. Uh, but invitation matters. Why did someone come to be involved in movements? Did they did they come invo- to be involved in movements because they were uh, they didn't feel like the leadership at the organizations they were a part of, whether a church or a ministry, were giving them an opportunity to lead? Well when I when I run into people like that I go "hmm, all right is that a legitimate they were being held down or were there serious problems that those leaders saw and this leader in front of me haven't corrected? So I can't make a decision either way I don't have enough data I only have their word. So then I give them a prayer calendar and the conversation quadrants. are you guys seeing a process here? And then I start holding them accountable. If they don't respond well to accountability, then I go, maybe it was because they had a character flaw. Then I correct something about their ministry life. And I try to do it in a right way, the best that I can. But if they don't receive correction, then I have to evaluate that again. Then, I can, then if our relationship has grown far enough, I might correct something in their personal life. If they don't receive correction on the personal life side of things, because remember, we're also in ministry. It's not just business and personal. It's integrated, right? Then I've got to go, huh, okay, now we might have a problem. And then I have to pull them aside and I have to sit there and say, do you recognize I can see that you're receiving corrections if I correct you From something important in ministry, but you're not receiving corrections when I look at something that I see that you need to work on in your character. And then I see how they respond to that conversation. Okay, so the invitation, why did you come to movement? Did you come to movement because you were angry and frustrated? Did you come to movement because they said you can become this leader of thousands and tens of thousands and all of that? Why do you guys think I keep telling the stories of movement leaders disappearing in the shadows, and I hold up John the Baptist as one of our heroes. Because I don't want people in this who are in their, in that for their own fame. Okay, so that gets to the next one. Motivation matters. Your invitation, what brought you into this space and into this process matters. Do I just want the tattoo on my arm that says I'm a Navy SEAL so that everyone thinks I'm this big stuff guy and will buy me drinks at the bar. That guy is not going to make it. He's not going to make it on the teams. He's going to wash out. Okay. The other one is motivation. Why are you doing it? Are they coming in for themselves? Are they coming in for their own fame? Are they coming in because they didn't think they had a place over here, but they have a place now to be able to be the big leader on top. You know, often I can see their motivation real quick by how fast they want to become a trainer or a coach. If they've been in for like a month and they're like, I need to be training this and everything. And I start going, it's not always indicative, but I sit, it's one of those little yellow flags. I just sit back and then Rebecca and I talk and I sit there back and I think about it and I go and, and she'll either, we, we either push towards a confront a direction, a confrontation uh, and a gentle, nice confrontation, or I sit there and say, "Well, let's give it more time to play out." This is what we're watching for. And Rebecca and I have these conversations about every single one in CDM all of the time. I'm just hey, telling we you. We love you. This is we, all.
0: This is all stuff that I mean. We don't talk yeah. about you like, you know. It's like oh, we it's, love you guys. You know, we love
1: you guys, and we're like, okay, you know, all right. If if this is the image that God has for who Josh is going to be or who Vitaly is going to be, or who DJ is going to be, because, I mean, she's the young one between her and like Riley's kids. They're the youngest member of the CDM family. Then I've got to sit there and I've got to say, am I doing everything in front of the Lord to raise them up to be the absolute best people? So they have fulfillment in their life, not because somebody's patting them on the head and making them feel comfortable about their level of incompetency. But because someone's saying, you can be that. It's going to be hard, but together we can help you become the person God wants you to become. So that at the end of days, when you're standing in front of him, you go, I did everything I could and everything I knew to do. And, and that's that right there, guys, I'm just telling you, I believe that in my heart. That's like, I want you to stand in front of Jesus, skid in at his feet, war-torn and bloody, and I want him to sit there and raise you up and to hear those words that I know you long to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. And my job as a leader is to make sure within my ability that I have raised you up so that you can hear those words from your savior. And that's what it means to be a leader. And if you're not willing to take that on, then you are not ready to be decentralized.
0: So it's, this reminds me of when John, uh, John and his brother, James came to Jesus and said, we want to sit on your right and left hand. And he said, first off, that's not for mine to give. He said, but, you don't even know what you're asking. In other words, there is you there is great suffering that comes along with leadership. And at least the leadership that is what we see as a picture in the Bible. It is not fun most of the time to be the leader. You're having to do all the hard things that nobody else wants to do. That's why they're not the leaders. But I do want to say that to Paul's point of motivation, we are human beings and we're not static. You could start and most of the time your motivation is good and your reasons are good. But then Satan can come in and corrupt and tempt you to a different motivation. and ministry, it can be very sneaky so because so. you can confuse your desires with what the with the kingdom desires, right? And so part of this is you have to constantly evaluate what you're doing. A person who is more interested in seeing the fruit or the result than they are about the process will constantly try to shortcut. Instead of learning the hard skills, instead of lear- learning the hard things, they want to just find something else that will shortcut them to the next level. And that's something that we have to be very careful in being able to to look for. A lot of people, again, can point to bad motivations for a lot of different things, but ultimately God says, if we judge ourselves, we will not be judged. And that's why, first off, we have, if we're hoping to be a leader someday, or even as now we are, we have to hold ourselves ruthlessly accountable for our motivations and for what we're doing and and what we're willing to give up in order to be able to seek the kingdom.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, what I what I tell people all the time is to sit there and look at what Paul says his he, there's a couple of times in his letters he summarizes the things that he has had to go through to be a leader. And if you're not willing to go through those things, then you're not ready to be a leader. And it's not that I want those things, but I have to sit there and say, Jesus is worth it. The lost are worth it. And you're worth it. And that's huge. So I'm going to get into my last side right here. And uh,
0: uh, do you mind if I, I just say one thing? because yeah, yeah, I, sure. I want go you ahead. to be able to have the last word for on this yeah. type of thing. So um, okay, I think this might be a good place. I, I wrote this down guys. I think, Again, when we're looking at the current Christian culture that we have, people want to create networks and support groups rather than teams and true church community. What, and they would rather be coaches and preachers rather than leaders and pastors and apostles. So in other words, they would and what is the difference between the two? The difference is is, the difference is accountability, commitment, and responsibility. I want to have all the good feels of having get it being around other people and being able to say my knowledge and be an expert on something, but I don't want any of the accountability or any of the responsibility or any of the commitment. To make sure that we're headed in the right direction, to make sure that, uh, you know, it's on me if something doesn't go right. People come to me in order to be able to, to, oh, I don't want any of that. I'll just have a space where I could come and give you some information if you want it. And if you don't, that's fine. You can go away and whatever, you know, that that they don't want to, they want to have, and also groups, you know, I could come if I want, I could leave if I want, I could do whatever I want. You know, that's not a team. That's a support group. That's a network. And so again, if we're trying to form a team for trying to have actual leadership that necessitates a plan that we work together with commitment and responsibility and accountability to one another.
1: Yeah, and and I don't advance, Rebecca, we'll stay right there. So if you guys want to read more scripture about that idea and that attitude of leadership, I'd recommend reading 2 Corinthians. Take a look and read 2 Corinthians. Look at what Paul is doing. Look at why he's doing it. Look at how he sees himself in the light of Christ and his role and what he does. It's an incredible book on what it means to be a leader. Not just to read the words he's saying, but look at what he's like, why, what is he doing in that moment? He's giving pictures. There's a reason behind what he's saying. And it's an incredible book, and I would encourage you guys to all all read that. And let me just tell you, you know, this is what it means to be a leader. And are we all there? Do I even feel like I've arrived yet? I feel like I'm still in process. And I hope that I still feel like I'm in process until the day I stand before Jesus. And even then, I believe I'll still be in process because I don't. I won't enter into heaven and know everything immediately. I won't be God. Instead, I will be, still be learning about God. And now I get to learn from the perspectives of all the people, okay? So it's really important to have that attitude at all times that you are continually growing, to continually becoming better, leaning into this. And then you get to a point where you can do it. My dad started off in Africa with eleven leaders. There were more. Some came and some went, and things like that. But ultimately the movement in Africa was started by eleven African men and and the men and women on their teams. When you look at Shadonka Johnson, and I've met his leaders, they looked at him like he was their, their spiritual authority in their lives. If he said we're fasting today, they fasted today. I mean, that's the kind of that's the kind of the authority that he had. And his house was open all the time for the guys to come in and to live with him and to be around him and check with him and talk to them. It was this constant flowing thing, but it allowed him to develop the leaders that then would then lead the movement that changed a country. OK, and that's that same process that that we follow even here. Look at David, Par- uh, David Parrish, you know. He sat there and repeated the training over and over and over again, always looking for holes and in, in understanding, innovating and coming back. And are these innovations getting us to the to the goal? Are we doing all of these things? I mean, just wrestling and wrestling and wrestling. That's what that's what David Parrish did. And uh and everything else. And then and then finally they came upon something. And guess what? When I talk with David Parrish, although I know I'm talking with a guy who's leading a movement that's that's running 27 group or 27 baptisms every day. Rebecca can tell you, I never feel like I'm in, in, the, in the room with someone who thinks he's the big cheese.
0: In fact, David said when we were talking about the process of, of getting of him learning movement and getting to there, he said, I'm slow, but I'm worth the wait. I absolutely love that. It was such a great phrase. Uh, uh, but to, and to Paul's point, there was several points in which David, uh, David Parrish invited David Watson and Paul to come and see the work and to say, Hey, something's not going right. Can you help me figure out what's going wrong? And David could come in along with Paul and look around and go, yeah, it's crap. You're not going to. You're not going to be able to see movement with this. And I'm saying, if you think Paul's David is like raw, like, you know, it's like, he'll just lay that fish on the table and be like, this isn't going to work. You failed. You know, type of thing. It's like, you know, you have to sit there. You have to. And, but the thing is to David Parrish's character and to his true desire, he took it and he adapted and it cost him sometimes many team members. In that process, but he took it and he it and he said, "I'm slow, but I'm worth the wait." And I loved it. He said and, that.
1: So. and and I'm just telling you, it's characteristic of all these guys, and uh, and everything else, and 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 just a lot of fun. And that's the vision we have for you. I'm not. I don't have a vision for you know Josh and Zoe that they would sit there and be like Shadonka Johnson for Armenia. I have a vision that they would be better than Shadonka Johnson for Armenia. And, but that's going to require, obviously a lot of growth and a lot of, they're not there yet, but they will be, you know, and, that's the, kind name of and thing,
0: it. <laughs> that's
1: the kind of thing that that's the kind of thing we work towards and what it means and what it means to have the hard conversations and wrestlings. So and when you guys walk out of a coaching session and you're like, I'm a total failure, uh, then <laughs> I, I'm just encouraging you stick at it, fix the things that need to be fixed. Come in and we could sit there and say, good job. You're on the right thing. Do the small things consistently so that you can grow. And we don't have to come back to the milk of movement, but we can move into the meat and potatoes. We don't have to come back to the micro every time, but we can start moving into the macro of more strategy and what it looks like to affect a nation. And that's the goal. We will help you get to a place of decentralization, but don't jump into it too early and don't jump into it for the wrong reasons and make sure that it me- you know what it means and you're not just fleeing structure and accountability. All right, you guys are great. Unfortunately, I got to let you go. I've kept you way over time and I've got some coaching that's coming up here in a little bit, but I just want to thank you guys for being here and for hearing these ideas. We'll flush them out a little bit more in coaching and everything like that, but until next time, go and make disciples. What are you waiting for? <laughs> DJ! get out of here you've got texas to save (laughs) love you guys bye okay thank you thanks for listening to the cdm podcast and supporting us on patreon for coaching or other resources connect with us at contagious disciple making.com or download the contagious disciple making app Join us in the journey of becoming world-changing disciple-makers.